Hello listeners, welcome to Explore FI Canada, where we sit at the round table with Canadians and share their thoughts, ideas and personal journeys to financial independence. Thanks to Matt McKeever for sponsoring Explore FI Canada. Matt is a Canadian investor, CPA, entrepreneur and real estate expert who achieved fire at age 31. Do us a favor and check out his YouTube channel by searching Matt McKeever or using the link in our show notes. Here we are again, Explorify Canada, Money Mechanic with you and my good friend Chrissy. Hello, how are you doing today? You know what? I I was a procrastinator today. I, I took the dogs out for a hike, which was fantastic because we did have a break. I've had a lot of rain over here and I'm out. And then I come back in, you know, did a few things on the computer and I was all very motivated to rake up my leaves. And then it sort of started raining again. So I was like, oh, well, I may as well procrastinate that job for <laughs> later. <laughs> yeah, it was bright and sunny this morning and it took a turn for the worse. So do you have your kids raking up your leaves in the backyard? We haven't yet. We need to get to that. Yeah. I just thinking like little claw feet for my dogs. I can kind of drag them around. <laughs> I'm sure they'd love that. <laughs> Attach it to their tail or something. <laughs> a little harness, a little like Aww. harness for their waist. That'd be cute. <laughs> Come on, we're always looking for side hustles. You know, I could rent my dogs with like rake harnesses. <laughs> exactly. Sell the jacket, sell the vest. <laughs> right on. Uh, we do have a guest with us this afternoon on the show. And it is Shida, and you are, you've been on the show before. Welcome back. And this time, the show's all about you. I'm so excited and nervous, so bear with me. In case anyone wants to hear Shida in her previous appearances, it was episodes 27 and 34. And I'm, like, nervous every show, Shida, so don't worry. <laughs> okay, so to help the nerves, I know this is the show we're drinking on, right? So I do have an apple cider here with me. What are you guys drinking? Nice. You know what? It's funny you mentioned that. I should go get apple cider as well because there is one thing that we have in common. And usually, you know, I talk about drinking on the other podcasts I participate in, but I made apple cider recently as well. Did you make your apple cider out of your own apple, Shida? Okay, I did not make it. And I have to give credit where credit is due because my husband does all the brewing. So he made apple cider, but not out of our apples. There's a lot of apple trees where I live. And We've gone and asked people if they're going to collect all their apples. And if they say, please have some, I have way too many. They're up for grabs. And we know where there's a bunch of apple trees on city land. So we were harvesting apples. There's still quite a few apple trees. So we're going to probably go out and pick a few more apples tonight and maybe make a dessert again. And yeah, enjoying apple cider from free apples. Did he build his own apple press? Because that's always one of the hurdles for some people. They want to make apple cider with all the fresh apples. Because there's a ton around here that are available that don't get picked as well. But where do you get the press? Okay, so we've done this three times. He made something called the Mangler and the Mangler <laughs> 2.0, okay, which is a, a round piece of wood, like a, a trunk of a tree, the size of like a good, a nice, thick, maybe six inches diameter. And it's got nails sticking out, or not nails, screw heads sticking out. And it rotates around like a funnel. It's in a funnel. And then you put the apples in and it, it chips away at the apples. And then we take that and we put it in the homemade press, which would squeeze out the juice. So awesome. we did this. And then this Mangler 2.0, we had to put the screw heads in even so they were shorter. So it would chip away less and less. And we borrowed a friend's press once in the summertime for apples as well. And that didn't make that much of a difference because we had to run the apples through the food processor and grate the apples and then squeeze it out, which brought out a lot more um, clear juice, just a different look of the juice. 
Now we um, picked up a juicer at a garage sale that juices whole apples and we just put it right through. And that's what we used uh, the last couple times. So we've been making a lot of apple cider. Nice. And pear cider because we picked up a lot of pears as well. So no more mangler. Well, the mangler 3.0 will have to come out and we'll see how that goes. <laughs> okay. Well, I'll admit that our apple apple cider making is far less labor intensive than that because we just look for the Sunripe 100% apple juice when it's on sale for a dollar a liter. And, you know, like 12 or maybe 20 of those go into our jug with some yeast and off it goes. A few weeks later, there's cider. So President's Choice makes this really good apple cider in the fridge section. That's like four liters for around four bucks when it's on sale. And it's um, I think it might be organic, maybe not, It's, uh, but it's made out of fresh apples, no other ingredients other than apples in it. And that makes really good cider too. So that's what we used to use mm. previously. So I guess this is a good sort of start to this whole show because, you know, Chrissy and I both really think you do an excellent job in a lot of ways in your lifestyle with your husband about being mustachian. And I think we miss about talking, we don't talk about that enough on this show, about the mustachian choices you can make in your lifestyle. So there you go, collecting apples, making your own apple cider. Awesome. Chrissy, yes. what do you think? <laughs> I would love that. This is something I talk with Shida about all the time, and she and her husband continually impress me with how much they do on their own. They cook, they DIY pretty much anything they can do. And if they don't know how, they learn how to do it and they take it on. So it's quite a story <laughs> to share uh, with everyone. And I'm excited we can finally do that today. I'm trying to convince my husband that we should buy a piece of property and build our home on it, but he's not convinced <laughs> yet, but I'm working on it. So <laughs> maybe in the next five years, that'll be something I can share about DIYing like your whole home from beginning to end. <laughs> awesome. Now, before we get into your story, how about we go back a bit and if you can tell us a bit more of your background, what you do and how you came to be so frugal. Oh, where do I start? Like how back, far back do I go? Well, we've only got 45 minutes. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> My parents came to Canada as refugees with nothing. So I grew up very, very poor. So that probably has a lot to do with it. Yeah. And they even had a business that went bankrupt when I was growing up. And I'm the third child. So I was the accident or the mistake that my <laughs> sisters always like to remind me. So I wasn't supposed <laughs> to be around when, you know, when my parents were at their brokest and grew up without much and hand-me-downs. And yeah, not, that's probably had a lot to do with my upbringing and where money has played into my life with the frugality and the scarcity mindset. But my husband uh, grew up in a middle-class family where, you know, both parents were working in great jobs and always going out to eat, always eating M&M's meals. <laughs> and <laughs> so a little bit of a different background from him, but he also has the same mentality about money and saving money. And so when you met, were you both on the same page with money and spending or were you a little bit different in the way you handled your finances? Well, when we met, we were both students. So you know how students are really, really cheap. And, you know, if we want to go out on a date, I'd go through the paper to find two-for-one coupons for dinner and, <laughs> you know, go see a movie but sneak into another movie afterwards, that sort of thing. So that's kind of what we did. <laughs> With your own homemade apple cider in your back pocket, I'm sure. <laughs> well, oh, in university, we actually tried buying cooking wine. You know the stuff, the salted cooking wine? Oh, no. <laughs> that, that's like only a couple dollars a liter. And we tried to extract the salt out so then that we could actually use that as alcohol. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> it didn't you work. Even, yeah. <laughs> hey, you have to try. <laughs> <laughs> well, the creativity started early in your relationship, clearly. 
Yes. Well, my husband, um, his dad is also someone who brews a lot, makes a lot of wine and has always been making homemade wine. So that's, he picked that up from him as well. Very cool. Okay. Mm -hmm. So tell us a bit about your career and why you're working towards FI. Well, I work for um, the municipal government here in the lower mainland, and I'm kind of sick of working in a cubicle and working for the man. So I'm just not, I'm not as excited about being at work anymore. So I want to do something else with my time. I want to have control of my own time and do things I love doing. So that's where I, I'm not sure how much I want to share about where I work or what I do. I, that's okay. You, you just tell us what you're comfortable telling us. And so you mentioned also that part of your FI journey started because you wanted a dog. <laughs> yes. Yeah, that's true. Um, I've always wanted a dog. And that's something even my husband has known that about me. And we agreed that, you know, one day when we retire, we'd have a acreage and have dogs and goats. And, you know, I thought, okay, how can I make this happen sooner? And so I had around that time switched jobs and I didn't like where I, my new job. And I was actually working at a municipality where you live, Chrissy, <laughs> <laughs> and hated it so much. That's when I started. Um, and this was in 2010. I Googled how to retire early. And the first thing is like, play the stock market, which to me, I still didn't, I don't understand that because it's like gambling the way they say play the stock market. It's like playing slot machines. So the other option was real estate. And I'm like, Oh, real estate, I own a house, my parents had rentals, my sister has rentals, that that can be done, that is possible and learn more about that. And that's where I got started in real estate and looking at how to retire early. Now, you also mentioned that you kind of drifted away from that FI path from when you originally found it and then kind of came back to the forefront for you in the last few years. Mm -hmm. Along that way, did you, you, it sounds like you developed a lot of techniques around the house and things like that. I'm kind of trying to prod you into, I want to hear about more about this beekeeping stuff. <laughs> We've talked a bit about that before and all those kind of like mustachian things that you're doing that are part of the, the journey to get to that acreage. Yes. Well, okay. So I don't really relate myself with mustachian because I didn't know about that term until probably like two years ago. It's just normal living. I didn't know about mustachianism or being frugal or do it yourself was a, was a the type of term to be called mustachianism. So it's just normal to me. You know what I mean? Like it's hard to say I'm mustachianism when I never even heard knew that term. I totally relate to that because I think, you know, I was very much a do-it-yourselfer and growing up with a single mom, I was forced to sort of learn and do everything. Mm -hmm. And I didn't know I was mustachian until I read Mr. Money Mustache blog and was like, oh, that's kind of what I am already doing. So I, mm -hmm. I totally relate to what you're saying there. Yeah. And somebody at my husband's work, I think it was around 2014, we were talking about this a while back, 2014, someone came up to him and said, hey, you should read this blog, Mr. Money Mustache. You're just like him. And so he tells me this and I go look this up and I'm like, this ugly blog? It's like, <laughs> what is this? He's talking about normal stuff. Like people, yeah, this is obvious. Do Brew your own beer and ride your bike. This is, why is somebody blogging about this? And then ignored it for the next five years. <laughs> <laughs> so you came across Mr. Money Mustache quite early, probably around the same time I did. It was 2014. So, yeah, but I didn't look at it ever again. Like okay. I spent two minutes and thought, <laughs> why is my husband wasting my time by telling me this? And then ignored it from then on. <laughs> okay. So you read his stuff about DIY and living that lifestyle, but you didn't take in, I guess, his investing message and or nor did you see the shockingly simple math behind early retirement, I assume. I think I spent under five minutes 
on his website <laughs> and just okay. was turned off by the the colors and <laughs> punching in your face. And I was like, you know, that's, yeah, it was probably at work when I was busy and didn't want to be bothered. I didn't understand why people write blogs. Yeah. <laughs> That's awesome. First guest ever to like go, yeah, Mr. Money Mustache. Nah, five minutes, done. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Right. So you do ride your bike a lot? Yes. Everywhere I possibly can. I do live in Richmond, which is very, very flat, no hills. So it's easy to get around anywhere by bike. So I guess from now on for the rest of the show, we'll just call it Shida's Way instead of Mustachianism. <laughs> <laughs> do you think Shida's Way? Exactly. <laughs> Chrissy can co-author that blog for you, even though you don't want to ever have a blog. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> okay, well, I have to know, before we get too far into real estate investing and all the other interesting stuff, just tell me a little bit about beekeeping. And the reason I have interest is because we attempted this and failed miserably. So just run me through like what setup you have briefly. Let's not get too complicated here. Okay, so you need to take a course in beekeeping. And there's a lot of online free courses right now that are offered locally. And I highly recommend you do that. So that way you have the background. You're learning how to take care of livestock. Yeah. Okay. You need to have the right equipment. I wouldn't suggest, you know, you're doing it just for the honey or just to uh, save the environment because bees, you know, they're taking away pollen and nectar from native pollinators. So you want to do it with intention and just think about why Why do you want to keep bees? I got into it because our garden wasn't producing any zucchini. So I was out there with a paintbrush pollinating my zucchini. <laughs> at between You got to do it between 6 a.m. and noon while the flower is open with a male flower and female flower. And you're using a paintbrush. And, you're, and I'm like, why am I doing this? And then I met someone like within a couple days that had just finished her beekeeping certification. And I was like, what? That's a thing. People keep bees. And then I looked at it and my husband and I had never done a course together. So we thought, okay, well, why don't we sign up and do this? And of course, my husband looks at me and says, this is one of your, another one of your harebrained ideas. Why would we want to have bees? What are you thinking? But I convinced him. And now he does most of the beekeeping because uh, this past summer, he got off work very early due to the pandemic. And he was doing all our beekeeping while I was finishing up at work. And he loves it. He can't imagine life without bees. Aww. Yeah. So we have a Langstroth. All our hives are Langstroth, which is a standard setup and works with a lot of equipment. What else do you want to know, Money Mechanic? Yeah, no, that's all. It's all very interesting. I was just, you. so are you generating revenue from this or you just solely keep the honey for yourselves? Or? We sell the honey. So about every year we make almost 4K. We've been doing this for five years. So we make about 4,000 bucks a year selling honey, selling starter colonies, nukes, and selling off locally bred queens. Wow. Nice. Well, we will have to get in touch with you because we had trouble getting a queen over here on the island uh, for last year. And I think one of the problems we had is we used a top bar hive and mm. we didn't um, we didn't treat for mites early enough so that we had problems getting through the winter. So, But anyway, yeah. that's that's a whole other podcast. But I think it is really interesting and for anybody. And it's nice because we're a city lot here and we are allowed to have bees, so it's nice. And uh, for the reasons you mentioned, to have them and, and have them sustainably. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And yeah, we're allowed two colonies in our backyard and we have more than two colonies in our backyard, but I don't want to say anything in case by anyone from our bylaws <laughs> department is listening. And we have a couple of offsite hives. So we have three hives offsite on other people's property. So we do have options for if all the colonies in our backyard die out over winter, then hopefully some one of our colonies survive offsite. You're not just a human landlord, you are a <laughs> bee landlord as well. Exactly. That's what we say. <laughs> Keeping bees is just like being a landlord. <laughs> And they pay you in honey. 
the best kind of payment. Exactly. And your honey is delicious. We went to one of your bee demos and we're friends. So <laughs> I get some of your honey and it's amazing. It tastes so good. Yeah. And I've had a lot of people who can't ever buy store-bought honey again because they mm -hmm. tasted real raw, unpasteurized, natural honey that's not been diluted with syrups. And they realize how different it tastes from grocery store honey. Now, this is probably an obvious answer, but has your husband made mead from the honey yet? Obviously. <laughs> <laughs> I figured. Mead is delicious. Anybody listening that has never tried mead before, have a look around. Guaranteed there'll be, well, you call it a, an apiary, right? Yeah. Um, there's one actually nearby your place. Yeah. they By Souk, they make, they yeah, make mead. We yeah. We went it's to delicious. that one. Yeah. Tugwell's, is it? It is Tugwell, yeah. Yeah. They have some good meads there. We went there for a, um, to check it out when we were camping there a few years back. And really nice place. So there's a few other uh, local apiaries that do make mead. But mead isn't hard to make. Actually, I shouldn't say that because my husband makes it. And if he listens to this, he'll be like, why are you telling people it's not hard to make? Because I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> so I want to get a little bit more into the weeds because I don't know if you're comfortable sharing, but uh, in Choose FI Canada, you do often share how much you and your husband spend per year. And it's not much, especially since you live in the lower mainland of Vancouver. Tell us more about how much you spend, how you keep your expenses so low, and yet you live a very full and satisfying lifestyle. Yeah, I think our groceries, we spend about four to 500 bucks a month, sometimes more, sometimes less. Uh, we don't have a mortgage, so that does help keep costs down. Right now, due to the pandemic, uh, my car has no car insurance, so we're down to one car right now, which previously, when we had both cars insured, we were spending $350 on gas, or so right now we're down to 100 bucks on gas a month. Insurance, because insurance in BC is ridiculously expensive. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Just one car is around 200 bucks a month. So it's around 2000 to 2500 a month. Like that's... That's at the high end, $2,500. And that's just our, our expenses, not including anything rental related. Okay. So that you spend $2,000 to $2,500 per month? I'd say closer to $2,000. Okay. Closer to $2,000. Like that's not including any traveling or mm -hmm. that's our core expenses to get through life. That is incredible. <laughs> so tell us more about your shopping habits. How do you keep your grocery costs down low? I know you mentioned how you stretch your dollar by shopping at discount grocers. Is there anything else that you do that you can share with our listeners so they can cut their food costs and just overall cut their expenses? We don't eat out much. Um, I'm not a big fan of eating out. I feel like whenever I go to eat out, I'm always disappointed. I don't know if I choose the wrong thing or or what. I, I choose something on the menu and I think, wow, I could have made this better. Not to like <laughs> be all high and mighty, but I really think like this isn't as good as what I would have done if I made it. Now, if it's something I've never tried before or some sort of exotic food, then I have to try it at least before I make it. I have to try it in a restaurant, but we don't eat out. For groceries, we go walking quite a bit. So Whenever we walk by somewhere, like if I'm out for a walk on the weekend and I know butter and eggs are on sale at shoppers, we'll stop in and buy butter and eggs because that's where they're cheap on the weekends. And for walking in a different direction, we might stop at Freshco and pick up a couple of their sale items here or there. And I probably do a superstore grocery trip once every two months to pick up a lot of the major items, flour, sugar, that sort of stuff, but not often. So yeah, it's just... Simple stuff. Stop off at the produce store and get pick up produce or pick up, uh, see what they have on their clearance rack. Because sometimes it'll just be like a giant bag of tomatoes for a buck with like 10 or 15 tomatoes and make fresh pasta sauce with that. Or 
a bag of mixed fruit like apples and pears and maybe do up some crisp for desserts. You know, just trying to see what we can get. Not the whole brown banana thing, but <laughs> <laughs> there is a lot of food that is on the clearance rack that you can get that's still quite good. And for a buck a bag, it's not bad. And you use flash food too, right? I don't. Oh, you don't? Okay. No, I don't. I've only, I, I've used it once or twice when it came out and I was I wasn't too impressed with the little bit of stuff they had on there on the few superstores I've been to. And I don't go to superstore often enough to actually remember to check flash foods. Well, my mother-in-law goes like almost every week and my dad and they get crazy deals because they're retired and they have time to keep watching the app and then they, they run down there when something comes up. Yeah. And there's only one superstore where I live and it's not convenient to get to because it's in downtown and it's a busy area and parking's a pain. So I don't do superstore often. I'll usually just pick up a few items here or there and try to work meals around what I can find on sale. Another thing to mention here is that you don't have any kids. So that right. changes the food budget a whole lot. I was actually just thinking about this today because my wife uh, had to go away for work this week. So I'm home alone and I can survive on very simple meals. I, I mean, I'm doing the, I'm doing the sort of, what do they call it? The um, intermittent fast where you don't eat for the 16 hours. So I'm like basically eating two meals a day. And when it's by myself, you know, I do like a veggie wrap as my lunchtime meal and then dinner tonight's going to be a veggie curry. So, and I, and I enjoy meat. It just happens to be, that's what's in the fridge. That's what I can throw together. So I think, you know, I definitely don't have the smallest food budget, but sometimes I realize that we could do a lot better and eat simpler if we tried to. Yeah. And I feel the same. Like I really enjoy tenderloin steak. Like I really mm -hmm. enjoy it. I, I love buying tenderloin and I would probably eat it for dinner every day, but you know, that would be terrible for the environment. But I yeah. will go out and, and buy a large, like when tenderloin was on sale a couple months ago at Superstore and they were like 80 bucks for a giant tenderloin, I bought one and cut it into like 10 steaks or 10 or 12. I don't remember. It was like more, it was 16 steaks. It worked out to um, four bucks a steak, I think. And froze them all. And I'm already done all those steaks, but <laughs> <laughs> I'm a big fan of good, good quality meat. Yeah. Mm -hmm. But yet I'm, I'm still okay with, um, I have a good stock of lentils and we'll try Like there's these great cauliflower lentil tacos that we make. They're Ooh. so good or mm. black beans, sweet potato tacos. They're also really good. Just being creative and thinking outside the box when searching for different recipes. I like what you mentioned there about buying the giant piece of meat and dividing it up. And I have a couple of things I want to add to that is, first of all, we bought ourselves one of those vacuum packers a few years ago. And the main reason we bought it is because we do our own smoked salmon every year. But it's also great when you can batch shop for when, if you are a meat eater, if chicken's on sale or steaks are on sale, you get the real savings. You package mm. it up, it's going to stay fresh. You're going to freeze it if you've got the storage space. The batch shopping can save a lot of money. You know, if I find a great deal on, especially canned items, you know, like coconut milk, we do Thai curries and things like that. I'll buy 12 cans. And if I buy all of them, I'll get a rain check. You know, like if you're saving a dollar fifty a can and you're buying you know, 10 of them, all that kind of batch shopping really adds up. So it sounds like you've kind of got that dialed in as part of your shopping as well. Definitely. Like I have a shelf with at least 12 cans of coconut milk, at least 12 cans of diced tomatoes and crushed tomatoes. And, you know, my freezer is full of lots of pieces of meat that we cut up and have it ready to go for dinner anytime for um, like dinner plus another day's leftovers. So we're prepared to cook in large quantities as well. So we're not cooking every night. 
Yeah, I feel like a freezer is a life hack, really, to to be able to save oh, yeah. on groceries because there's no way to store enough meat or um, even leftover dinners mm-hmm. uh, unless you have an extra freezer. It's it's pretty tough with uh, the built-in freezer on your fridge. Yeah. Oh, and let me tell you about our freezer. Okay, it's one of those stand-up giant freezers. We had a yeah. test freezer, but my husband oh, hates digging through stuff in a yeah. test freezer. So yeah. his work had um, – he works in a lab. So his work – their lab freezers, which have to maintain a certain temperature, they died and they had to go out and buy these emergency full stand-up freezers. But the thing about home freezers is they don't keep a consistent temperature all the time. Mm. So when you're keeping samples, lab samples in the freezer, it doesn't allow them to be kept maintained at the right temperature. So they had this freezer just as like a month long time, this giant stand-up freezer for about a month while they're waiting for their new freezer to come in. So he brought home this freezer that they were just going to recycle. So I have this giant freezer that's one month old (laughs) that stores all our food. And guess what it's full of? Vacuum-packed bags of dried hops. (laughs) Nice. I'm coming to visit. We're making beer. (laughs) Yes, because that's what we use our vacuum sealer for, for the dehydrated hops to be frozen (laughs) <laughs> and ready to go when he's making beer. Side hustles coming out everywhere over I there. Know, I know. I was <laughs> going to say, you and your husband just always surprise me. You, <laughs> it's not just DIY or doing things from scratch. Like you're literally from scratch, right down to the hops <laughs> for the beer you make and down to the bees for the honey. It's mm-hmm. It's amazing. Yeah, we even had our neighbor, she had tons of grapes, just two or three houses over. And we were talking to her and she's like, you know, I've always wanted to try making wine with grapes or try wine made out of my homemade grapes. My husband's like, oh, well, we have a fruit press. Why don't we pick your grapes? We've done white wine with fresh grapes that we've picked before. Let's do red wine with fresh grapes. So we made a batch of wine out of <laughs> out of her grapes, gave her half the wine. And yeah, it should be good in about a year because you got to age wine. But she was very excited about that too. So yeah, we do make fresh wine from fresh grapes. <laughs> Yeah, and my husband and I have sampled your alcohol, and it's amazing. <laughs> it's delicious. <laughs> and I don't even drink, and I liked it. <laughs> <laughs> that's awesome. Okay, well, we could keep talking about booze, but that's for another podcast. Um, let's <laughs> that's for little, the FI Garage, right? That's for the FI Garage, yeah. I'm getting thirsty <laughs> over here. Uh, <laughs> so let's, let's talk a little bit about the, you know, the end game for your fire journey and What sort of plans do you have? How is that shaping up for you? So my house is for sale, part of a land assembly where I live, and it would be hopefully picked up by a developer. So there's 10 properties in a row. It's in a, on a busy road. And hopefully if it gets picked up by a developer, we will then quit our jobs and live the good life, move over to Vancouver Island and buy a little hobby farm, have goats, dogs, a whole nine yards, chickens, bees, and live there and be super duper happy. But until that happens, we're still living here, waiting for that to happen. And, you know, keeping our fingers crossed, we get information from our realtor regularly saying, oh, somebody's interested or somebody's not interested. So the plan is to eventually move to the island and have some acreage and have a hobby farm. So simply selling your house and basically it sounds like a bit of geo-arbitrage is going to meet your FI number requirement. Is that what you're telling me? Yes. Awesome. <laughs> yeah, that would that would be it. Yeah, we just need our house to sell. So if there's any developers out there who want to buy a nice development site in a nice part of Richmond, 
please let me know. <laughs> <laughs> well, you never know. There might be some people know. interested yeah. in that. Yeah. So that means to me then that you're both still working your regular jobs and you'll just sort of continue to do so. Do you feel that you have like the golden handcuffs at all if because of pensions with your job? Or are you just kind of happy to keep doing it? And when the time's right, off you go. Well, I don't feel the golden handcuffs like I have to stay because of the pension, but we both have pensions. And we figure when our real estate, we do have rentals. So when our real estate income gets to cover our costs and then some, so we have enough as a, a buffer, then we would also, if our house doesn't sell, we would also probably retire early. But I don't think, my husband has issues with the idea of retiring early and staying where we are. He needs a big change. Like he needs to retire early and move to the island. Or if we're staying here, he would continue working because he needs to have the new adventure with early retirement because he thinks he'll get bored if he doesn't have a new adventure. That's funny he would say that because he experienced a little bit of semi-retirement at the beginning of the pandemic, didn't he? Because he had a lot more time at home. <laughs> exactly. And now he's saying that since it's winter and the cold weather and the shorter days and he's really bummed out that, you know, can't do anything. It's always <laughs> dark out. You know, it's raining all the time. And yeah, he's one of those people that needs to always be in the sunshine. <laughs> <laughs> Most of us, I think, yeah, yeah <laughs> prefer exactly. that. Hey, Chrissy, how much experience would you have after doing something 43,000 times? Quite a bit, I think. Yeah, well, 43,000 is the number of Canadians that Policy Me has advised on their life insurance needs. That's amazing. I'm not surprised that so many Canadians have used Policy Me. It takes just five minutes and they'll recommend exactly what you need and not a penny more. And if you don't need any life insurance, Policy Me will tell you that too. I love that. Even better, there may be no medical exam or doctor's statement required for certain insurers with PolicyMe. Visit exploreficanada.ca forward slash PolicyMe to get your no-obligation quote or book a call with one of their advisors anytime. So I'm going to put you a bit on the spot. So you have real estate and you started investing in index ETFs in the last year or so. This is a difficult question for most people to answer. How do you know when you're FI, when you have that combination of investments? Are you basing it on the cash flow from your real estate and then predicting or if you can take 4% from your investments to add to that, that's when you're FI? Before I knew about the 4% rule, I used to base it on my pension. So if I work 20 years, and that would be when I the age of 45, uh, my pension would be valued at 2000 2500 a month when I turn 55. Okay, so I used to look at it as okay, I just have to work till 45. And then 2500 a month is enough to cover our cost at 55. And then we need to figure out how we're gonna have enough income between 45 and 55 to cover our costs, which is what we were thinking for real estate. And that was before we were thinking we'd be selling our house and moving somewhere else. And before we had bought all our rentals. Now we're looking at, okay, well, we have our rentals. And if we can increase cash flow to cover our costs and then some, so that way there's enough to cover maintenance, major maintenance items on our rentals, then we'd be okay to call ourselves FI or okay to retire early. So we're actually looking at refinancing a few of our rentals, increasing the amortization and seeing if maybe one of us, me, could pull the trigger early 2021. So that's something we're, we're talking about. We're not sure if we're going to do it or not, or, but we're thinking if I can increase cash flow significantly through refinancing, then maybe I might either go down to part time or may quit and move on to something else. Just not exactly sure what. 
It could be that at the same time that I'm working on refinancing our rentals, maybe our house will sell because we get different information every few days that, oh, someone new is interested or we're going to get a new offer. And the last offer we got, um, we were super excited about and was really played up quite a bit. And it was 50% of asking value. So, (laughs) so, you know, we're trying not to get hopes up on that, but there is that as well. Like if we can sell our house, then we don't need to worry about bringing in an income beyond real estate. You know, the house would be enough to cover us because we would be downsizing. And the decision for you, you to be the one who switches to part-time, is that because you're the more unhappy one at your job or it was, are there other considerations? God, I hope nobody from my work is listening to this, but yes. <laughs> <laughs> okay. <laughs> yes, I think my husband is tired of listening to me whine and complain about it. <laughs> Come on, Chrissy, you know the new thing is spouse fi. <laughs> that's what you got <laughs> yeah i just want to join you guys <laughs> it's true it's a nice life <laughs> so listening to your story there and your sort of plans it all kind of makes sense to me one of the things that as a you know i really feel that all of us are pretty poor at predicting our future selves and our future income do you have any kind of expectation or have you thought about what you might earn in your, once you guys make the big jump to your hobby farm, let's call it, chances are highly productive people like you guys are and you're entrepreneurial already. What sort of income do you think you're going to be bringing in? And compared to your costs, does that influence your sort of FI decision? Because it sounds like you'd be able to make a little bit of money. I definitely think we can make money with when we retire early living off our hobby farm. I do have some ideas on that. Assuming we had no real estate, I think we could make money through selling eggs on the side of the road, like having a little stand, selling eggs, selling honey, selling cut flowers. We have friends who have a, a normal city size lot and they make about $5,000 on bouquets every summer, just selling cut wow. flowers on Facebook marketplace. Wow. And that's what they do. And they're a retired couple and they do this every year. And they usually, they, this is what they do. And they love going to Disney world. They're very, or Disneyland. They're very sad that they can't do it this year, but that's how they <laughs> pay for Disneyland every year. And they've told me they'll teach me everything I need to know about how to be, you know, do the cut flowers, how to grow the dahlias and how to make the bouquets. And they've, they're always teaching us stuff. And we have a, a colony of bees at their place too. So there's that, there's income from honey. You know, we could also maybe watch dogs or rent out our goat if somebody needs to have their lawn mowed. <laughs> <laughs> That's so cute. Yeah. <laughs> Love it. Yeah, I do have a list of all the things we could do with our land, even put a tiny house on there. We really want to have an Airbnb because we think that would be so much fun to host people, travelers from around and get to know people and do bee demos. And maybe if they're interested in trying good home brewed beer or mead and doing that, that's that's part of what we want to do as well. So I'm sure we could make enough to cover our costs and that would be bonus beyond the real estate income. Yeah, that's fantastic. That's what I, I'm, I'm just kind of sitting here in the back of my head going, you guys are so coast fi and you don't even know it. <laughs> yeah, the numbers would be coast fi right now, not including our pension. The numbers are coast fi, but it's just, I don't trust the market and I don't trust that. I need like, you know, you say the 4% assumption, but I want to see income coming in and I don't want to have to draw on my cash investments, mm-hmm. right? That worries me. Yeah, I think a lot of people are like that within the community, right? Is they want that, you know, if they've if they've worked really hard to get 25x, they don't want to touch the 25. 
Yeah, you know, they just exactly. want to have the X. So it's yeah, but it's almost yeah. I mean, it is a conservative way to look at it, and we don't need to go into that whole discussion about the four percent. But no, that's fantastic, and that's what I'm getting from you is that you've got this plan as like the real estate, and maybe we should talk a little bit about that. But you've got that cash flow coming in, and you're going to be able to back it up with some you know passion projects that may generate a little bit of income, but you don't necessarily have to have them generate income. Exactly, which is why we don't count on those. Those are ideas that we could have, but we don't know. They may not work, or maybe there'll be a pandemic and nobody wants to eat honey, or maybe you know nobody wants to have cut flowers anymore because everybody's developed an allergy to flowers. You know, you can't count on these things. <laughs> so I know these are stupid things, but we just want to assume that those may not make money, and anything we would make would be a bonus. Yeah, and that's a great position to be in. So I think that's a fantastic plan. So Chrissy. As far as Shida's real estate go, uh, we're all in sort of a high cost of living area. And yet for the last 10 years, shai has been able to build up this awesome portfolio of real estate. How did she do it? Are you asking Chrissy or are you asking me? <laughs> <laughs> I told you we make this up as we go along. <laughs> Let's turn it to Shida. I have, I have very little real estate investment knowledge. I know you have five rentals. You've told yeah. us that. Yeah, I have five rentals. Five, five doors, right? No, six doors. <laughs> oh, six. six doors. Okay. Yeah. Okay. The first one we bought in 2010, and that one we bought, since it's our training wheels investment, we bought it with a partner. So we bought it with my husband's brother. Uh, my idea was we need to buy real estate so I can retire early. Who can we get to sucker in to invest with us? <laughs> and his brother's like, why would anyone rent? And he's his brother lives in Hamilton, Ontario. So he bought a farm for like $50,000 that year. So why he's like, why would anyone pay money to rent a place when you can buy a land with a house on it for 50K? What, this is ridiculous. He didn't understand it. But, you know, we convinced him the numbers and, you know, the cash flow wasn't much starting out. But we were able to buy a townhouse in Surrey, British Columbia. So that townhouse, uh, I don't know if you want me to go into numbers on this. You don't have to go or? too deep. No, I mean, we'll get we'll get way off track with that. I think really the main goal is here is for the people that are on their FI journey, whether they want to make the choice to go into real estate or not. So your experiences by making those choices over the years. So my experiences have been good so far. No major issues with tenants. Getting money for the down payment has been the hardest because the first one you save up money and then for the next that was in 2010. For the next five years, we didn't realize you could actually use equity in your house, which is how we bought the next one in 2016. So you save up money for the first one. And then for the next four, we used equity from our home to buy the next four. And they've all been good experiences so far. That doesn't mean I'm a excellent landlord. It just means that, you know, we, one, we screen our tenants really well, but you just never know. It's still anything could happen. I don't want people to think this is like easy or that there might not be downsides to this. It's just I haven't had any really major downsides yet. So with the five rentals, how much time does it take you? I mean, you property manage them yourself or you and your husband. So I'm inexperienced in that side of it too. And I think a lot of people would find that overwhelming. What systems do you have in place to make it run efficiently and as easy as possible for both of you? Uh, so the first rental was really easy. We had a tenant in there for eight years and all we had to do was like replace an appliance, get a guy in to replace the hot water tank. It was so easy and boring that we almost thought we don't want to buy more real estate. This is too boring. It's not exciting. You know, we thought being uh, property moguls would be really exciting and this is super boring. So 
we almost didn't buy more property, but then we decided, okay, well, property values were going up and we wanted to continue with investing and managing property. And we thought, okay, let's buy somewhere we eventually want to live. So we bought a second property in Seashelt that we do, we manage all our properties on our own. And our second property in Seashelt, um, it does have two doors and for systems, it's just us doing it. We're like, other than not having kids, we're mom and pa investors, right? Like mom and pa investors, no kids. And I don't really know like what other systems we would have. We have one email address where all our tenants send us inquiries to, and we try to encourage them not to text. So email us if there's any issues. And we try, we turn things around because everything can be done online. Like you need a hot water tank, you contact a plumber in the area. You need, um, if there's branches overhanging a roof because of a windstorm, then you contact a guy to trim the branches right away, right? We try to encourage our tenants to let us know so that way we can provide a quality product for them. And they are eyes and ears on the the house. Nice. Yeah. Right. So we don't want, we don't want them to um, feel that we're not there. To, like we, we are very approachable and reachable and we want them to know that they can contact us and we will be on top of any issue that arises. You're a very compassionate landlord too. I know you've told me throughout this pandemic how you've had some changeovers and you do a lot to work with your tenants to try to keep them in place and you're very fair to them. And I think that goes a long way to making them feel comfortable with you and why they tend to stay long-term, which makes it low maintenance. Yes, we did try to work with our tenants. And when the pandemic started, we did contact all of them before before things got really bad and said, hey, just want to make sure, you know, what's it going to be like for making the next rent payment? Are you guys working? Is everything okay? Please let us know if there's going to be any issues and try to be ahead of it before, you know, things got too crazy. And we had, um, we were fortunate that all our tenants have been able to pay rent throughout the whole pandemic. But we also try to make sure they know that, you know, we are, we're people, we're not a big company. We've got to make mortgage payments. And we also got to make sure they have a place to live that's safe and comfortable. So they don't have to um, worry if we can afford to replace the washing machine or if the dishwasher breaks, because they know we're going to be right on top of those things. So they, I think they realize that, okay, we're, we're not a big corporation. We're just people and we're trying to work with them to provide provide them with the product that they want. So do you have an exit strategy for real estate? You have five or sorry, six doors now. And you said you mentioned earlier, you want to build up the cash flow. Does that look like having more properties or changing the existing financing to extract more monthly cash flow from them? And maybe I'm asking too many questions at once here. But <laughs> do, you, do you see yourself divesting of them eventually as well? I would like to buy more rentals, but I think um, I have agreed with my husband that we'll hold off for a while and wait till we buy or build, maybe build our forever home with an Airbnb. As for increasing cash flow, it would be through refinancing our current properties and increasing cash flow by increasing amortization. Mm -hmm. Okay. Yep. Now, I'm just curious, are all of your properties do all of them still have a mortgage? And what about your your house? Do you have mortgages on every property or is anything paid off? Our primary residence is paid off. Everything else has a mortgage. Okay. Hence, when the developer walks along and buys it, she's fire, Chrissy. That's awesome. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> yeah. Well, I'm excited for you. I have been with you in your journey <laughs> since we met through Choose FI Canada. Was it two years ago now? 
Yeah, it was two years ago. Yeah. Yeah. It's pretty cool to hear how you've progressed and how you're to hear that you're getting closer and closer. It's too bad the pandemic kind of threw a wrench in things as far as property development, but hopefully that'll sort out in the next year or so. Yeah, but I think maybe it's a good thing because now like a townhouse development right next door has started selling. They just finished construction. They've started selling and phase one is at 75% sold out. And now developers are going, oh, so people are buying in a pandemic. People don't want to live in condos and, and want to move into townhouses and have their own space. And condos aren't selling because of all the insurance issues as well. So that could bring in a, a developer right now, now that they see how a product on my street, like just next door is doing, that might bring in developers very soon. So at least that's what our agent has told us. We never know. <laughs> well, I totally love that you have a perfect combination of Shida's way, aka mustachianism for other people, <laughs> that you know combines your affordable cost of living in a high cost of living city, and you do so many things yourself. I really respect that. Uh, so pretty neat, and you've got a great like mini real estate empire already started. So kudos to you, and to be able to look towards fire within the next few years is absolutely fantastic. So that's a huge congrats from me. Thank you. Yeah, and it was lovely having you on the show. It's about time we got to hear your story. Yeah, it's been over a year since we've been talking about this, right? Yeah. <laughs> yes, thank you. It was nice to finally have you on for your own interview. You've been on twice with us where you were a co-host or a guest w with a panel. So it's nice to have you just one-on-one -on -one with us. Anything you'd like to share with the listeners before we sign off? I know you're not a blogger, but, you know, by the sounds of it, if you're out painting your zucchini flowers, maybe you should have like a TikTok or a YouTube going. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Okay, one, I don't know what TikTok is. <laughs> <laughs> Apparently, it's where everybody gets financial advice now, which is a little bit Gosh. frightening to me. Yeah. Maybe I'm showing my age. <laughs> See, that's me showing my age, too. I'm like, what? TikTok is what? People are doing what? As I, w I was at the ferry terminal, and I walk in, and there's these girls dancing to music in the bathroom with their camera up. And I asked them, what are you guys oh. doing? They're like, uh, we're TikToking. I'm like, huh? <laughs> okay, well, I'll, I'll date myself, too, because like, I refuse to use, like, uh, well, well, Simple Trade, which is now there. Apparently, a beta version is going to be on the desktop. But I refuse to use any kind of trading platform that I have to use my phone for. Like, I'm old school. I want to be able to do it on my laptop. I feel like I need to have like a spreadsheet open in another page. Even though I'm an admitted spreadsheet failure, I still need to be able to look at my computer. Okay, I don't even have a phone. So that is <laughs> that is dating me. How did you slip this in under the radar? <laughs> no public mobile for you. I do have a SIM card in my iPad, but I don't have a phone because I don't want to talk to people. <laughs> That's funny. Well, Chrissy, anything else you want to tackle here with Shida before we let her go? No, I'm so happy that we could finally talk about the bees and all her real estate pursuits, because I think it's uh, info that our listeners will really enjoy hearing, because you and your husband are just a regular, everyday couple uh, working away and working towards FI. You haven't done anything extraordinary, although to some people, they may think your lifestyle is extraordinary because of all that, that you do on your own. But it's proof that you can do it. You don't have to have a super high income and you don't have to do anything crazy to get to FI at a relatively young age. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think um, if we can do it, not that we've done it yet, but we're almost there. And if we can do it, anybody can. For sure. Right on. Thanks for listening. If you've been getting value from our content, please support us in the following ways. One, leave us a review and subscribe in your favorite podcast player. Two, tell your friends and family about us. 
3. Use our referral links at explorefi.canada.ca forward slash recommendations. All of our show notes can be found at explorefi.canada.ca. You can also find us at our own blogs, figarage.ca or eatsleepbreathefy.com. Today's episode was edited and mixed by Max Desmarais with episode transcripts provided by otter.ai.